Like I said, have some great news uh, that happened yesterday. Not only did we play in the football tournament, and first let me just say, uh, the football tournament was so much fun. Uh, having played in the football tournament for the past couple years, we have not, I'll be honest, we have not had a victory in three years. It's, you know, it's, it starts to, you know, wear on you a little bit. Uh, but yesterday, we actually had our first victory in three years. Very exciting. Uh, and then the other two games that we played, we barely lost uh, by less than one touchdown each, um, each one of those games, which our defense was on point. Uh, but I do want to give a plea to all you brothers out there. You know, I know you guys want to play some football next year, and we need you out there. Uh, so please come on out. Uh, you know, one victory is great, but more than one, winning the, the tournament itself will be even better. So I want to uh, please invite all of you guys out there. But football aside, we had a baptism yesterday. Brittany Carr was baptized yesterday morning, 89th Street. Brittany, you want to stand up and I'll clap for you? And then, yes, Brittany Carr is now our sister, your sister in Christ. Amen. So, so encouraging. And yes, that's her family right there standing at the beach yesterday morning, uh, nice and warm. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions here. Let's do some, you know, back and forth. All right. All right. Now, a show, a show of hands, let's just see, if I were to ask you, are the majority of drivers out there good drivers? If you were to agree with that statement, you can raise your hand. The majority of drivers out on the road today are good drivers. All right. Okay, let me see this. Now, let's, let's, let's flip it. Are the majority of drivers, show of hands, if you um, agree with this statement, the majority of drivers out on the road today, bad drivers? Raise your hand. i to go up with that one. Now, <clears throat> everybody kind of looked around and saw that, right? Now let's do the next question, which will be, yeah, this is, I got you, I got you. Would you consider yourself a bad driver? Raise your hands. So somehow, the numbers switched there, right? Because a lot more of us thought there were bad drivers out there, the majority. But then when we raised our hands, not as many. Not as many. You know, driving is uh, one of those things, man. I'll tell you what, I see the craziest things driving around. No joke. Uh, it was two weeks ago. I'm driving to church, going down the um, 264. The highway, you know, holding there about 60 miles an hour, and it's raining. It's raining really, really hard, actually. And I look over, and there's this driver next to me driving a little bit slower. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, I'm curious now. I notice the window is down, which is even stranger. And it was like a nice car. I'm like, this is bizarre. And then I notice that their arm is protruding out of the window. And I'm like, what is going on here? There's a woman driving who is literally holding the wiper blade and wiper arm and doing this on the windshield and driving down the road. And I'm like, oh my gosh. What has our world come to at this moment in time? That you were literally hanging out of your Mercedes holding the wiper blade arm and wiping. Your, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Crazy, 
crazy, crazy. You can hit the next slide there. You know, today I wanted to talk about the joy of driving. You know, I want to say, I'm going to put this here before you, that our experience in life is a lot like driving on the road. All right? You know, I would say pretty much nine times out of ten, when I wake up in the morning, I got to go jump in the car, I'm feeling pretty good about life. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the idea of driving and getting to my destination with the least amount of craziness possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, that doesn't really happen now, does it? No. There are other people on the road. And those people, as the majority of us agree, are not good drivers. And they tend to hurt my thinking and my dreams of making it to my destination without any drama. Right? You know, but there are those good days that you have driving, very, very rare, right? Maybe you're going down the boulevard, Virginia Beach Boulevard, and you time it just right, you hit every green light. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those, those magical days, you step into the office and you're feeling a little bit better about life, right? You're like, oh, God is with me today. I hit all the green lights. Right? But that is very rare. That's a very rare thing indeed. You know, you got traffic, right? Traffic is fun. Um, here, not so bad. I know it's kind of like perspective. I was in um, Los Angeles uh, two, um, a week ago, and traffic there is insane. You think traffic here gets bad. It's like 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and you're a bumper to bumper. Like, where are people going? I don't know. You should be at home. Stop causing traffic on the roads for me. Right, but it starts to affect your whole day when you're getting these little, it could be the smallest little thing when you're, when you're driving, right? Just that one driver that sits there kind of long at like the green arrow and they're going to take a left and you're just waiting and then they go at the last minute and then it turns yellow as they go through and you're like, ah, I'm sitting here again, right? It starts to just kind of build up inside you and it kind of throws off the rest of your day. You know, for me, I, I don't know if you could pick it up, um, but when I'm talking, but sometimes I get frustrated on the road, right? No, never, surely not. I even have my boys at different, <laughs> different times ask me, I have two, two little boys, seven and five. They've asked me, dad, why do you yell at the other cars? <laughs> because they can hear me and they need to, they need to. I'm a firm believer, by the way, uh, that the horn is there for a reason. Feel free to use it. It's a tool at your disposal, right? It's there to communicate with others. Right? That's not even a point. But amen, it went in there. Right? But then, I want to say when I get in this car ride and then I reach my destination finally, it generally throws me off. Right? I'm, not, I'm just not happy about life anymore. I'm not feeling good about things. Those, all those little road issues, traffic, my car not working right, air conditioner not blowing cold enough. It starts to pile up and then I'm not feeling happy anymore. I'm not feeling good about life anymore. Let's talk about, let's kind of flip it and take it a little bit more serious route. How are you feeling about your life right now? Are you joyful? If I were to say, does that describe your life? Yes. Are you joyful? Amen. Enthusiastically joyful over here. You know, when I think about joyful, I think about, you know, maybe it's like you eating a really good bowl of ice cream. Right? It's just like, that's 
joy right there, especially if you're like myself and I can't eat a lot of ice cream because I get sick. But eating that bowl of ice cream, especially good ice cream, I'm not talking like the cheap Food Lion brand ice cream. I used to work at Food Lion, so no worries there. Um, I'm talking about good ice cream. That's joy. That's, that's like pure joy. You know, maybe it's finding $200 in your jeans after you hadn't worn them all summer and you put them on because it's getting fall and you reach out of your pocket and it's $200. That is joy right there, right? That's excellent joy. That's like joy you get to go, go home and check all your pockets now, right? You know, but what about the idea of rejoicing? Could it be said that you live your life or that your life could be described as rejoicing? Now, when I think about rejoicing, rejoicing is a little bit more than just happiness or joy, right? There's generally, it's a public display, right? So, for me, when Florida State won the national title game, there was public rejoicing in my house. I was literally running up and down the house, we won, we're champions! I woke Kelly up because it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, we won, we won! There was public rejoicing. At that moment, I could honestly say that was pure rejoicing. But that's not me every day. That's not me every day when I wake up. I don't feel overwhelmed with joy or dare I say rejoicing. You know, but why is that? Why is that for each and every one of us in this room? Why don't we wake up every morning feeling overwhelmingly joyful and it pouring out in rejoicing? Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Now, as a church, we've been uh, going through the book of Philippians. And also this month, we've been focusing uh, as a church on the idea of rejoicing, right? And so we're going to continue with that today through Philippians chapter 4, but also talking about rejoicing. In verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll stop right there. You want to hit the next slide for me? My point number one is it's only a two-hour delay. Now, living in Hampton Roads, the tunnel is a real thing that impairs my days many, many times. The tunnel traffic is one of those things that it's like you see that sign when you're coming up around around a turn and it says, you know, five mile backup, six mile backup. And you know it's always generous in the other direction. You know what I mean? It's like, but when when those yellow lights hit, you know something's about to happen. Those yellow lights hit and then the red lights hit and then you're stuck on the bridge. Worst moment. She's like, man, I just, because you can't get off and you're just stuck on this bridge trying to get through the tunnel to the other side. You know, and here Paul says, rejoice always. Rejoice always, even in that tunnel traffic. You know, for me, this this passage, obviously, you know, it's it's not just about traffic, okay? I I don't want to make it lesser than what it actually needs to be. But Paul 
gives us a clear command. And not only once, but twice. I don't know about you, but there's not too many commands in the Bible, even from Jesus, that he gives twice. He says, it's so important, you got to rejoice. It's going to be so hard for you that you got to rejoice every day. Yeah. Always. That means you got to rejoice even when you go to pay your bills, perhaps at the end of the month, and you realize there's not enough money in the bank account. You know, maybe it's be, you got to rejoice when your kids just aren't learning. They keep on continuing the same patterns over and over again. You sit them down, you talk to them, you plead with them. But the same patterns of disrespect and disobedience keep happening. And you look at your household and you say, this is not what it's supposed to be. Rejoice always. Perhaps it's in your marriage. Where you feel like this was my high school sweetheart, but something happened along the way. I'm not rejoicing any longer. Maybe it's in your job, school, or your own personal life. Rejoice always. Every day, all the time, even when it doesn't go your way. You know, for me personally this morning, this was convicting. I'll be honest with you. You guys saw me stumble up here. My knees aren't as flexible uh, because of the uh, lack of skin. Um, but this, this morning I, I woke up not feeling great, stressed out about this sermon because I played football all day yesterday. It was a lot of fun, but I probably didn't spend enough time, you know, so I woke up early and I'm like, okay, I gotta get this done. And then I got my son who's begging me, where's my Bible, dad? Where's my Bible? As I'm leaving to come here. And he's like, where's my Bible? I was like, I don't know where your Bible is. I'm like, I'm not rejoicing in this moment always. I'm just not rejoicing. You know, and then my wife and I, we got into like a little bit, it wasn't a full fight, it was just a little bump, you know what I'm talking about, like when you're, when you're married and it's just not clicking, and we're like, man, I'm not rejoicing, and I'm about to go preach a sermon that talks about always rejoicing, and I'm like, ah, I can't do this, and then the guy cut me off, seriously, on the way here, and, and you know, amen, so I'm like, okay, clearly God, you're trying to make a point, I get it. You know, and sometimes it is the big issues, the big problems. Yes, you've got to find, you've got to be able to rejoice in those. But also, it's just every day for all the little things that just add up. And we're commanded to rejoice. And here, Paul, he's writing to the Philippian church that's being persecuted. And he's telling them, hey, you better rejoice in your persecutions. You better be able to rejoice always. But does this describe you? Rejoicing always. You know, he also points out that you got let your gentleness be evident to all. Which I think ties in very uh, tightly with the idea of rejoicing. You know, the gentleness, what he's talking about here is not a passive kind of like, you know, oh, hey, I just love you so much. No, he's talking about um, that things don't phase you. They don't get into your mind. They don't throw you off course of what your mission or what your goal is, which is rejoicing every day. You know, this is driving, right? This is driving. The fact that let your gentleness be evident to all, not exactly my strong suit. I don't think that could be said about me as my children, as I've told you already, have already pointed out. But he also says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, you're forbidden to worry. Now, the idea of being anxious, I would say, is just a little bit of fear. Okay? Fear itself is not bad, right? You think about if a lion's about to come at you and um, attack you and eat you, right? You feel fear. Sure. And you run. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully avoiding death, right? So fear is a good thing. But a little bit of fear, continual nagging fear is a bad thing. You don't lay awake in your bed at night worrying about a lion killing you, right? If it did, it would keep you up all the time. It does nothing for you. So what Paul is saying is you can't worry, don't be anxious about anything. You know, it says that, uh, I took a bunch of stats. It said that on average, we spend a total of six and a half years of our life worrying. Six and a half years. Think about what you could do with six and a half years. You have a PhD. You know what I mean? Like six and a half years of our life is spent worrying. This one was even greater. 85% of what we worry about actually doesn't happen. It's just wasted time. You worry about things that don't happen. Paul's saying this is going to steal you away from the ability to rejoice always in the Lord. So do not fear. Now this is a hard teaching that Paul is bringing us. Telling us to rejoice always. Be gentle. And don't worry about anything. Let's go ahead and let's flip over to Acts 16. And we'll get to see Paul. Actually in... Philippi, doing exactly what he's writing the Philippian church years later about. Come on. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 16, this is Paul, he's on his missionary journey. He's, this is his first one. Or second one, excuse me. In verse 16 it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, <clears throat> the spirit left her. Verse 19, it reads, When her owners realized that, her hope, that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful, for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in the um, attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not exactly a moment here of rejoicing for Paul, is it? We see he's going around trying to preach and there's this annoying girl who keeps screaming out and I'm sure it was kind of like over and over again so he's trying to preach and she just keeps going on and on and on in the background and he finally gets so annoyed he says hey quiet sends the spirit out of course you know they weren't too happy about that because it says her owners that's how they made their money it's the fact that she had the spirit and was able to tell the future so the city joins together and throws him into jail They strip him and beat him with rods. And it says, after they have severely flogged him, they threw him into the inner prison, fastened his feet with stocks. 
Let's, let's continue on here, verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the, of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They told him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, uh, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Stop right there. You know, Paul, in this moment, or if you could put yourself in this exact moment in jail. What is he doing? Singing. Singing praises to God. I don't know about you, but that's not my first option when I'm thrown into jail wrongfully. That is not my first go-to. But here we see him singing, praising God. What about your life when you're in these tough situations? Can it be said that you are praising God, that you are singing, that you are so joyful that it just comes out in song to God himself? Is that what your life looks like? I know, I can recall, you know, one of the toughest times in my life, you know, was coupled with one of the greatest moments of my life. Kelly and I, we were um, expecting our first child, and, you know, as, as a kid, maybe I'm weird in this way, I don't know, as a kid, I always looked forward to being a father. That was like something that I just wanted to do so badly. I was like, I can't wait till I have my own kids. I just, I just want to be a dad. And so we're, I'm looking forward to this great moment, you know, I get to hold my son for the first time and I'm like getting everything ready to go, right? I had bought, I had bought my um, house a couple years before that, had a decent job, had, we bought a bigger car because I'm like, you got to, you know, carry all the stuff and, you know, I'm getting everything ready and about eight months into the pregnancy, uh, that's when the, um, the big crash in the market happened, you know, and, um, and Kelly ended up losing her job. Not because of Kelly's performance, but because they uh, cut all the marketing positions across the country. And so I'm sitting there, and, and we were a two-income household. That's the way we had structured it. And uh, I, I remember sitting in my office, getting a phone call from Kelly, and she's in tears. I can tell she's distraught, and she just begins telling me, I lost my job. I don't know what we're going to do. And me, you know, as... Feeling this just this pressure of like, am I going to lose my house? Am I going to have a place uh, to actually raise my son? You know, you start running through all these wild and crazy, you know, um, different um, options that are going to happen. Man, can I even feed him? Can I take care of my family? Are we going to be on the street? Are we going to have to move back in with my parents? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is not going the way that I had planned it. Yeah. Or the way that I had worked hard wasn't like I was being lazy. It's like I worked hard for this moment. Why isn't it happening? Yeah. Come on. I remember one of my first, one of the first things I did was tell Kelly, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come home now. Uh, I talked to my boss. She said, hey, you can go ahead and head out and go, you and Kelly, go have some time, try to figure stuff out. 
And uh, I remember the first, one of the first phone calls after I got off the phone was to one of my personal friends who was a lawyer. And I'm like, can I sue them in any way possible? I'm like, because she's pregnant. I'm like, perhaps they're firing her because she's about to take off three months. And I was like, so I'm just trying to think, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out any way possible to save the situation. Sadly, my first go-to was not to God in that moment. And I'll tell you what, it was not rejoicing in that moment for what God was putting before me. You know, maybe you found yourself in similar situations. You know, perhaps you're a military spouse. You know, I loved uh, Vicky uh, getting up here talking about the idea of what, what the church provided for her. Maybe that is your life where your husband goes out to sea and he doesn't come back for another 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 months out. And you look around your house and your kids are running around like crazy. You can't keep up with the homework, the cleaning, the food, the cooking, every other social um, you know, thing out there. And you're overwhelmed and you're asking yourself, is this it? Am I rejoicing anymore? You know, maybe it's that you've been working at your job for a while, trying to get that new promotion, trying to get that new position, and you get passed over and passed over and passed over. Are you rejoicing anymore? Or is it safe to say that you're rejoicing in the Lord anymore? Or maybe it's your school. That you walk into your hallway. I remember it in high school, walking down the hallways and not even being noticed. I'm wondering, if I didn't come to school for the next seven days, would anybody even care? Would, any, would anybody even notice if I didn't step into, the, into these hallways? You know, I'm not doing that great in my classes. I feel like none of my friends are really actually my friends. They want other things, they're focused on other things, and, you know, the next cool person comes around and they leave me like that. You're like, I'm not rejoicing anymore in this moment. I'm not happy, I'm not joyful. I don't want to do this. It always seems like there's something in life, doesn't it? Yeah. Always seems like there's something there to steal my joy. To not allow me to rejoice in the Lord. If it's not, you know, my job, it's my kids. If it's not my kids, it's the wife. If it's not the, you know, the wife. I did that in that order. See, I did that. Um, then it's money. You know, or maybe it's just my drive here. There's always something. But let me ask you. On a scale of 1 to 10... How is your rejoicing today? Ten being, I'm just elated. I'm jumping for joy. How is your rejoicing today? You know, as Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church, he himself is going through suffering. He himself, as we see in chapter 1, is in jail. He talks about his own chains. And he's writing to the Philippian church who is also going through suffering. And his command that he gives is to rejoice in the Lord. I think for us it's very difficult to rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. When we're focused on the circumstances. When we're focused on the wrong places. When we're focused on the issue at hand. The problem right in front of us. As opposed to looking to God. We get so worked up in the here and now. And we forget, actually, where we're going. We get so worked up with all the issues, all the problems about how it's not happening just the way we hoped or just the way we planned. And we forget to look to God. We don't rejoice in the Lord. 
But we're commanded here to look to God. To rejoice in the Lord, not in our jobs, not in our health, not in our home, our school, whatever it is that you want to put out there. But rejoice in the fact that God knows you and that you know God. Rejoice in the fact that you have a relationship with God. That it's something bigger than just you. Too many times we get caught up in, you know, what's happening right here as opposed to what's the destination. What is it really all about? At that moment, it's easier to be gentle, isn't it? It's easier not to be phased by everything else. I, don't, I find myself not freaking out as much about the little things in life when I'm focused on God. When I'm focused on rejoicing in what God has blessed me with, whether it's monetary stuff or not. Whether it's perfect health or not. Whether it's a perfect marriage, perfect kids, whatever or not. I find it, it's a lot easier to be gentle with those and and everybody else around me when I'm focused on the Lord. It's easier for me not to be anxious and to pray those prayers of thanksgiving, of praising God for what He has blessed me with when I am focused on the Lord. You know, my second point here, I want to say is my own bumper car. Now, you guys remember bumper cars as like a kid? Did you guys do that? I'm just waiting for the time when that's not like, you know, um, allowed anymore in theme parks because of the whiplash and everything, you know, concussions. Man, I feel bad for my kids as they start growing up, like the things that they won't be allowed to do. Man, because I talked to my dad and he tells me about stuff that he was allowed to do as a kid. And I was like, I wasn't allowed to do that at all. Like, well, that's because they realized it wasn't safe. And I'm like, ah, we're going to live in this little plastic, you know, bubble wrap uh, world here for my kids. Amen. But bumper cars. Right? Imagine if you had a bumper car on your way to work. I'm not talking like one that goes like the five miles an hour, but if you had one that like actually was up, you know, up to speed, you would just be like bumping, bumping through traffic, not even caring. Right? That would be amazing. My commute to wherever it is that I'm supposed to be going at that moment would be a lot better. Right? I'm sure yours would be as well. Trust me, if you guys, it's a business idea, we can all get it on together. Bumper cars for adults. All right, just put it out there for us, all right? Um, Insurance, I'm sure, would be very happy with that. But in verse 7, let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. Let's take a look at this. The idea of my own bumper car. In verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing here about the peace of God that guards our hearts. The words that he's using here is literally there's a fortress set up around your hearts. There's a wall, there's a bumper that pushes off every other issue. That comes in your life. He's not saying you won't have issues. You won't have problems. You won't have the temptation of not rejoicing. But he's saying, hey, you know what's going to happen to you if you're able to rejoice in the Lord always? God is going to set up a fortress around your heart to protect your heart. So that you can be focused on the things that matter. Serving God. He says this is... This idea is so far-fetched from, the, from our logic that it transcends all understanding. 
you will never understand how or why this works, but just know that it does. Amen. It's as if you're focused on God. It's as if you are driving a bumper car around and you don't care. It's like, run into me, go slow, do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm just going to push my way through because I have this bumper car. Yeah. And here, Paul is talking about you're going to have this peace of God that transcends all understanding. That will set up as a fortress around your heart. You don't want to say happiness is overrated. Right? Yep. Everybody, it's a big popular thing. Hey, I got to find happiness. Right. I want to put before you that we all want to find peace. Right. Forget happiness. You can take happiness. If I'm at peace with whatever's going on in my life, that's what I want. Yep. We all desire to have that peace, to have that steady unshakable, that God is in control of my life no matter what peace. That's what we want as individuals. That's what I want. And that's what we see in Acts 16 when Paul is arrested, thrown into prison, beaten, tortured, and said, he's like, I don't care. It's unshakable. I'm singing praises to God. I see how this works. And he's put a protection around my heart and I'm focused on the things that matter. You know, for Kelly... You know, as she lost her job, like I said, I was not rejoicing in that moment. I was not, I was not excited about the prospect of being a one-income family and having a newborn on the way. Not excited about that, as I'm sure many of you would not be excited about that. You know, but eventually I did have to fall on my knees. I remember praying out to God, begging Him, God, help me through this. Help me, God, through this situation. And God did. He put that fortress around my heart. You know, the severance package that Kelly was offered was more than generous for what she, the time that she was there. They gave a basically a standard severance, whether you'd worked there for 15 years, 20 years, or three months. And it was amazing. And also, in that time, the government stepped up and they said, hey, we realize a lot of people lost their jobs, so we're going to give more money to everybody if you just got laid off. And I was like, this is amazing. In fact, our income barely changed at all between the severance and what the government was actually offering. And funny enough, Kelly and I, looking back on it, we realized that we actually had prayed to God earlier, before we had any kids, that God help us to figure out a way to have one of us stay home. I was like, oh, that was not a good prayer. I'm like... Like God answers prayers, right? Just maybe not the way you expected them to. And I was able to find rejoicing and to focus on the things that actually mattered. Focus, rejoice in the Lord, not in my circumstances. I do want to put a caveat out there. This is not the prosperity gospel, by the way. Paul, heads up, was still in jail. He gets sent back to jail and ends up dying. This is not saying that the life will go perfect for you. That God will protect you from all the issues. No. He lets, I believe that God lets uh, Paul out of jail this next time so he can do God's will. It's not about Paul. It's not about protecting Paul. It's about God's will. Are you guys following me with that? Yeah. You know, and that's the reason why Paul is able to rejoice. Because he understands it's not about me. It's about something bigger. Now the question I ask myself, and maybe some of you are asking yourself here today, as we wrap up, 
is why don't I feel like rejoicing every day? Why don't I see the level of my joy? Why don't I see this rejoicing that Paul, that I see Paul demonstrating himself and then commanding us to follow? Why don't I feel that rejoicing in the Lord every day as I wake up? Perhaps as I go to sleep and no one's there. In the quiet moments, why don't I feel that rejoicing in the Lord always? I think we don't rejoice, honestly, because we don't feel the peace of God. Because the Lord is not near if your life's not right with Him. It's hard to be joyful when you have the fear of Judgment Day looming. Second, you know, that we don't feel that peace because we're not willing to turn to God in those times. When those issues come up, when those problems arise, when life just happens, we don't turn to God. And we allow circumstances to take over. We allow circumstances to become our focus and not the things that really matter. Rejoicing in the Lord. No peace means no steadiness, means no rejoicing, no joy. No peace in God means that it is incredibly difficult to rejoice always. No joy eliminates fear. Or fear will eliminate joy. It's your choice this morning that you can choose to rejoice in the Lord or not. It's your choice today. And the challenge I have for us is very, very simple. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, and as, amen, if you're here as a, as a disciple of Christ, as someone who's been baptized and is saved, amen, you better be rejoicing. But also, you know what we're tasked to do? It's to share that with others. So the second caveat to this is share with someone about this joy that you have. You rejoice, show it to everybody, and invite them in. You know, and if you're not right with God at this moment, if you haven't been baptized and forgiven of your sins, then the challenge is simple. You can't rejoice unless you turn back to God. Amen. Unless you turn to God and look to Him for peace. You can't find that joy. So what I want to do for you guys here as we, as we leave and as we wrap up, as I want you guys, when you get in your cars, I want you to be able to ask yourself, am I rejoicing in the Lord? Not based on the traffic of that day, but am I really rejoicing in the Lord? As you, as you drive along the road, I want you to think about that. Think about, am I truly rejoicing in the Lord always? And let us this week rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you.